it's your Rule of Law Rules podcast host, Angela Daly, with the next episode, and sadly, last episode both of the series and for me as host. Welcome back to our regular subscribers and a warm welcome to anyone listening for the first time. You have tuned into the Rule of Law Rules podcast from the Conrad Adenauer Foundation. In this podcast, we talk to international experts about the rule of law in the age of digitalization and gain insights into recent developments in different parts of the world. After finding out about legal tech in the Middle East, Europe, Africa, Asia and South America, we are returning to Europe now with Ivan Rashic, who will tell us more about legal tech developments in Southeast Europe. Ivan is based in Bulgaria, where he leads STP Information Technology AG Sofia's R&D Centre with development management, project management, culture, strategy and special project initiatives. He started a legal tech company after working in law firms and is an ambassador of the European Legal Tech Associations. He closely follows and writes about the future of law, legal tech and new ways of delivering legal services. Hi there, Ivan. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. So our regular listeners know that we like to start and end our episodes with some quick fire questions to introduce you and your views on legal technology. I will start a sentence and you can finish it with the first thing that comes to mind. Legal technology is my favourite topic because... I'm just a legal geek, I guess. The first time I realised the importance of legal technology was... Uh, 2011, in my stint in uh, corporate legal departments. And legal tech is not a new development for my region because... It's not new, period. Great, thank you. So, moving to our longer questions. Firstly, can you tell us more about how you came to be working on legal tech in the first place? Yeah, certainly. So, as I mentioned in your kind of short-fire questions... 2011, I was working in a corporate legal department, still was in my senior year as, uh, as a student back then. And my role was kind of uh, hybrid. I wasn't so much involved in delivering uh, legal advice or services for kind of internal corporate clients, but more so was helping the um, legal counsel to um, systematize the reports that he was getting from various stakeholders, like from law firms that were serving uh, this multinational company throughout uh, different countries in the region. And uh, basically, they did not have any kind of standardization, either in terms of the content or the format of the data of those reports. So from this point of view, I realized that there should be a better way to of course, this is not strictly related to actual delivery of legal services, but it is part of the business of law. And then I realized that creating a product that could streamline this would benefit them greatly. And this was basically my role uh, over there. I delivered them something which they proceeded to use for years to come. So that, that was a really enjoyable experience and my first touch with uh, the legal tech, quality legal tech issues, if you will. Is the idea of legal tech now well known to people where you are? Or what do people actually understand it to mean in your region? Uh, well known to people uh, depends how you uh, define the sample, I guess. If you're, if you're talking about general populace, obviously most of them would have been concerned by legal tech in general. Uh, if we are narrowing it more down to the legal profession, clearly now the percentage of people aware of legal tech naturally starts to rise. What I see, and this is on a general global level, I, I would say, not just regionally, I think that legal tech sometimes is being 
there are at least two different things when we're talking about legal tech that you can think this belongs to legal tech, right? So some are still considering, let's say, the products that started from, from long ago that are basically supporting certain business models of legal service providers, like, for example, law firms or corporate legal departments. Some people would say document management system, which is slightly adapted to a law firm, is um, legal tech, right? Then maybe you talk with some other group of people who are into the kind of legal tech, maybe a little bit longer over there, and they would say like, you know, that's just a plain vanilla DMS system. You know, it has nothing to do with legal tech. Legal tech has to, they would argue, and you know, I also tend to agree, they would argue a legal tech product has to have something to do with the, with the business model itself that helps you not just support the traditional old business model, but kind of help you transform the way you deliver legal services, thus making them either more scalable or more uh, accessible to a wider uh, kind of wider segment of the population or maybe the clients in which in, in your industry. So there is this kind of duality, like, you know, are you are you talking about only plain vanilla products which are doing nothing else but supporting the way that you have always practiced law? Or are you talking about possibilities that you can unlock with the technology in delivering legal services in an innovative way through content production and distribution, for example. What about you? What do you think uh, legal tech means or which of these two definitions do you prefer? I don't prefer either, of course. I think uh, that legal tech uh, as any kind of you know word in, in in the modern use evolves over time, right? So I believe that legal tech, firstly, obviously wasn't even a word when I was starting out. So 2011, I don't I don't remember legal tech being widely used. You know, it's just technology, you know, and kind of technology for law firms, technology for accountants, technology for banking sector, simply just technology. Yeah, and then of course started uh, as you got more and more vendors into the game, they started kind of you know putting a higher emphasis see on what they produce is actually tailored to the segment. Hence, the term legal tech was coined, I, I don't know by whom, or maybe just naturally came into existence. But I believe that it evolves over time. And I don't think what we understand now as legal tech will be legal tech tomorrow. I think I'm much more closer to uh, exploring new model, new business models with technology, and I'm kind of more inclined to this second, more evolved, um, let's say, definition of legal tech. But you know, I, I still understand why you would want to consider, let's say, a traditional law practice management software as legal tech. Yes, it only supports the traditional business model. On the other hand, side it used to be the only legal tech you were getting for a very long time. So I can understand why people would still consider it as a part of legal tech, and you know, I think it's natural. Well, in fact, can you tell us a little bit more then about how technology is actually changing or has been changing the legal sector in your region? And maybe it's changing business models or you prefer to talk about business models changing with technology rather than the technology itself. Could you please give us more of an insight into that? The region, Southeastern Europe, how basically technology changes the, the practice of law or delivery of legal services. I mean, it doesn't change it but much. I think in our region, the technology is still, let's say, focused into supporting the practice as it is currently. This is not to say there are no outliers and innovators in the space. 
originating from our region, and by region I, I'm talking about basically any country, whether Bulgaria, Serbia, Croatia. I know examples Romania as well. I might have missed some country, but these are the countries where I have kind of more insights and I, I know that there are innovators in those countries too. What might be, let's say, preventing, uh, how, put, to put it that way, um, a legal tech to go more into the evolving business model stage in our region could be the uh, the regulations, obviously. And I think uh, you heard this argument many, many times before, regardless of the region, regulations sometimes can be, um, well, let's say they date from a certain period when all these solutions haven't existed yet, then they might be slow to change. So if they are slow to change, then you could have some risk takers who could try to deliver a service in a certain different way, but then you could also have government uh, delivering a backlash on that kind of. So it's difficult to say, yeah, you know, we are greatly transforming our business model here, but um, until regulations are allowing for more liberate use of technology, then we would have this issue. I can also draw a parallel between, let's say, two countries in one country, you have certain regulatory uh, solutions that um, allow you to use certain products for, and, and again, it's nothing extraordinary. We're talking about basic things like using your digital signature to fully remotely execute everything that's related to your human resources issues, like annexes to your labor agreements, sick leave applications, vacation applications, so on and so forth. In Bulgaria, where we are sitting, there is obviously a regulation in place which allows you to do it with a certified digital signature fully remotely. Of course, through a software that has to, you know, fulfill certain conditions and, you know, kind of, you know, it has to be lawyer vetted and so on and so forth. So there are, of course, conditions to be met and standards to be met, clearly. But you have this possibility in Bulgaria, which we are using uh, to our benefit and, you know, to our satisfaction quite a lot. You just cross the border, which is 150 kilometers away, and you don't have such a... I mean, you've had attempts from private sector to do that, but these attempts have been met with a backlash from the government because regulatory space isn't there. So we are still talking about some fundamentals that might have been laid uh, somewhere, kind of, you know, the groundwork is laid in certain countries, in other countries it hasn't been. And this prevents the transformation to speed up, to put it that way. So as a result, to put kind of, let's say, full stop on my slightly longer answer, the most of the technology that I'm still seeing in these countries is, you know, kind of um, supportive to the existing business model rather than um, evolving or disruptive to the current business processes. So uh, you did kind of mention, or you, you were beginning to talk about how different countries in Southeast Europe are taking different approaches. Can you tell us about which country or which industry you think is leading legal tech in the region? And a question that I have that I'm interested in personally is uh, to what extent does being a European Union member state or not, obviously there's a mixture of EU member states and non-member states in Southeast Europe, does that have any bearing on how the legal tech market is evolving or not really? Of course, it might have some larger bearing that I'm aware of. So I would, I should put a disclaimer over there. But from what I know, clearly being a member state has benefits at least in terms of synchronizing uh, the regulations. So Bulgaria being a member state obviously has more advanced regulations. I, I think, again, I assume I'm not an expert. I haven't compared, but from what I've heard and from all the anecdotal evidence out there, it seems that it's a little bit more advanced from the non-member states in terms of, for example, digital signature, which uh, enables 
such solutions to be used, uh, created and used in Bulgaria compliantly. Um, so I, I think that's one benefit that we can all agree upon. Are there others? Uh, I, I cannot say as I don't have much experience uh, trying to name a leader. It's also a little bit difficult to pinpoint because I know there are different initiatives in different countries and these different initiatives that are coming from different points of view. For example, in some countries, whether they are member states or not, doesn't matter. You have a bigger emphasis on education. So kind of there are initiatives that are trying to create, to spur a community, uh, you know, in certain countries, which would hopefully later on put some kind of a, you know, a start a constructive dialogue with the bar association and so on and so forth in order to influence these regulations. You have other countries that are member states that might not have these problems to begin with, but they're kind of, you know, more focusing on building the actual products which would be in use tomorrow. So I've seen innovators in all these different countries from different angles. I think it's very early, you know, to, do, to, to judge and say, you know, this is a clear leader and everyone is kind of, you know, second best. So what I'm pretty happy is that over, over the last nine years or 10 in which I've been involved, I've, I've seen a drastic jump in the region from nothing to everything that we now have, uh, which is not much, but every country has awareness, at least even if only in a very tiny, tiny subset of the society, and they're trying to do great things. So I think that's by itself, it's, it's great, at least for me, you know, and I, I do feel, you know, pride when I, when, I, when I reflect on that. Yeah, that's great. In fact, can you give us some examples of legal tech that are being deployed or developed in your region? Anything that you particularly like? Anything that you maybe don't like? Well, perhaps let's not talk about that. But anyway, some really good examples and what are they being used for? And are they helping people? Yeah, tell us more. <laughs> sure. So um, I'll mention a couple of examples. I, I won't mention any names in particular, you know, just kind of, you know, for the sake of uh, you know, not giving exposure. So basically, we have, as I mentioned, a couple of companies that are dealing with the standard products that are supportive. So I, I nothing too exciting to write home about regarding this segment. Then uh, you have completely homegrown competitor to companies like Flightright. I mean, you know Flightright in their business model and what they do. So from this region, there is one company, and I personally know founders amazing people then done amazing job for a very short period of time especially in, in kind of this covid period which was not very great for flying so there, there is this company then uh, i mentioned this solution already that we are using to to kind of you know help us as a company local company here to execute especially in this kind of time of hybrid and remote working kind of all the hr documents um, I know a couple of initiatives to automate drafting documentation, which might not sound too exciting, but honestly, for our region, it is because we are usually faced with uh, specific problems like uh, the Anglo-Saxon part of Europe, or, or let's say certain segments of the Anglo-Saxon part of Europe might be used only to one language, for example, working only with English. Here we have a multilingual situation and it's technologically sometimes challenging, you know, to nail the formatting of documents and the kind of the side-to-side -side translation of all the terms and everything properly in a single solution. I've seen 
newly developed solutions from those countries that are handling this really well. If I didn't know they were coming from from our local countries, I would say this is a Silicon Valley funded, God knows how much, you know, startup and they've done an amazing job. Where in fact for seven guys in a basement uh, with some legal background knowledge, etc., they've done amazing things. So, you know, the majority of these products aren't meant for consumers. They are meant for organizations. But uh, yeah, there, there, there is a bunch of really cool things being developed. I imagine also the fact you're not just in a multilingual situation, but also multi-alphabet situation in Southeast Europe. Does oh, that yeah. also have a bearing on the complexity of, for instance, automating documents? Sure. I mean, you have to take care not only about languages, but also about kind of, as you said, alphabets and all the kind of transliteration there is a Cyrillic and Latin, like for example, Serbia uses uh, Cyrillic and Latin interchangeably without any issues. Of course, the official uh, alphabet of the government has always to be Cyrillic, that's clear, but uh, as a business, you are at a complete liberty to do one or the other, it's up to you entirely. Uh, Bulgaria, on the other hand side, obviously it's Cyrillic period, you know, they don't have a transliteration to Latin either as official or an unofficial means of communication. So, yes, there are these differences, and this also puts kind of a bit more complexity, of course. You mentioned automation, um, and you also mentioned that it seems to be a lot of these uh, legal tech are being used by businesses. But what about judicial systems in the region? Are any of them using legal tech? Are any of them automating decision making in any sense? And if so, how's that been going? Has it been disruptive? Or actually, is it being used as a tool to kind of enhance the administration of justice? From what I could see uh, in a previous periods, the government has been using technology to firstly uh, provide a proper infrastructure to function for their services to function properly. And I'm really, again, talking about fundamentals like commercial registry and being able to submit certain documents to a commercial registry uh, without, of course, if you have a, a digital certificate and kind of, you know, this digitally recognized signature remotely so that you don't have to queue in a line and go into a certain building and deliver a piece of paper and all this kind of stuff. So again, it might seem very rudimentary, but these are the biggest changes that I've seen over the period of last five-ish years or something like that. There might be other examples that I'm personally not aware of, and I, I, I appreciate that. But uh, even when I'm in touch with other people from the region, I don't hear about that I know that are also in the legal tech community. I don't hear about any groundbreaking or or even otherwise, you know, uh, systems or solutions that are, for example, as you said, automating decision-making or streamlining any part of uh, resolving the caseload that they're having. One of the countries, not to mention, uh, again, Ames, but I know that one of the countries has recently opened up a possibility or, huh, that's actually a good question. I don't remember if the legislation was passed to allow for Skype or online meetings, Zoom meetings in, in these kind of cases, or there was just a proposal to lay out the framework for such legislation to pass over time. So kind of, you see how early we are in the process. Or I may also just be unaware of anything else that they're doing, but from, from kind of all the context and all of the anecdotes that I'm gathering around, I don't think there is much to be reported about. And maybe you've already answered this question uh, by what you've said already, but we're also interested in the prospects 
of legal tech helping to deal with access to justice issues. You've already said that um, a lot of the legal tech is more oriented to businesses and there's a little bit in some of the public administrations, uh, but are you aware of any good public or consumer-facing legal tech solutions to access to justice issues? Or what do you think the scope is for more activity in that area if there's not a lot at the moment? Uh, it's a good question. I think it boils down to how you define access to justice in the first place, because it is a very, very vast area. You know, kind of, it kind of reminds me of legal tech. Firstly, everyone outside of legal tech was looking at legal tech as a vertical. You know, you had this and that and that, and now you also have a legal tech. It's a vertical. But then, once you dive into legal tech, you realize legal tech is a horizontal in its own right, with all the branches and everything that could be in there. Now, talking about access to justice, maybe you want to say, maybe you want to mention it and classify it as reg tech, regulation tech, or anything like that, or I don't know, justice tech, or whatever you want to call it. Those that are outside of uh, access to justice issues, myself including, uh, might feel that, you know, it's again a vertical now within legal tech. But once you go into there, you see all the different problems that it has. So kind of, you know, and you can spend a lifetime developing a solution, tackling only one subset of the problem. So... The companies that I know, local initiatives here, again, they're, again, we are talking about privately funded companies. They're handling, if you want to call it even that way, maybe just a subset of the access of justice issues. Like this one company that I mentioned that is uh, an analog to the flight, right? If you want to call this an access to justice problem, sure, you can probably, right? But it's it's a problem that you're only going to have from time to time. It's not something that is going to significantly improve your, uh, let's say, experience when you really need into some kind of better farm cases, you know, um, some issues. On the other hand, you have some initiatives like, for example, marketplaces for lawyers. The founders of these companies are in their marketing material might be inclined to say, okay, you know, we are improving access to justice by comparing all these kind of things and rates and fees and everything and giving you choice. Where in case, in fact, they're just creating another channel for you to find a lawyer, you know, instead of walking into an office just or Googling, you, you just go to their website. And is this really handling access to justice to some way? Perhaps, but this way it's, let's say it's a very small as compared to everything that's coming after that, right? So I'm not saying it doesn't exist, but I'm not aware of uh, companies or public initiatives that are handling everything after what happens after you have engaged the lawyer and maybe opened up a case with a, uh, with an authority or, or in front of the judicial system or something like that. So I think there is a long way, long way over there. Another thing that you've already touched on very briefly, but I would like to go into more detail on is who is developing and funding legal tech solutions in your region? Is it homegrown? Are they and is it home funded, or are we talking about big kind of international or Silicon Valley or Western European based? companies that are moving into the markets in Southeast Europe? And is it are they funded by private equity? Where are they getting their money from? If you're talking about purely starting up companies, so companies that were just founded that haven't existed before, it really begs the question, where do you want to raise capital from? And as a local founder, if you have some background or some connections, you could have some choices either to 
find some local VCs or accelerators or kind of early stage angel investors. So there is an option, Bulgaria at least, and also Serbia and the region in general, they have advanced quite a bit in terms of the opportunities for funding, right? So where where they are getting their investors from, perhaps they're syndicating some tickets from Silicon Valley acting as intermediaries, or maybe they're applying for European funds, public funds for funding like Jeremiah in the past and so forth. That's a different question, right? But there are some, let's say, local shops where you could go to. I also known founders who've directly gone to international um, accelerators, US-based or later stage VC funds as well. So this is also possible. I don't think you're really limited. It really depends how big your influence is. Have you had some background that warrants that you are able to execute and, and everything that, that comes with a, with a package, right? So it could be one of those two things. When it comes to larger enterprises that have already operated elsewhere and now wanting to enter the markets here i think there are more interesting markets you know to to tackle at this stage for for those larger enterprises i mean markets in the balkans are not that big in terms of the size either by the number of consumers or by purchasing power per capita or whatever other metric you want to kind of use in this case and at the same time there are different markets, you know, there are these language differences, there is kind of also alphabetical difference. The legal systems are somewhat uh, the same. I mean, we are coming from one and the same continental European legal system. It's not uh, Anglo-Saxon, so there are big similarities, but still differences. So all of these things are, I, I wouldn't say uh, preventing those bigger companies to come and invest here, but let's say if they do come and invest here, they would do it for other reasons. Like they would, like for example, uh, you know, in, in, in my case, so we are running here um, uh, an R&D center for, for the German-based company. Uh, this company is not selling products here locally. They are only interested in the tech talent that they can find here. So you could have something like that, but in terms of selling to these markets here, I would I'm no I wouldn't call it unattractive, but I would say certainly you have let's say lower hanging fruit elsewhere, right? It, it's really different whether you're a starting up company or whether you are kind of a big enterprise and what your goal is in the first place. I guess I was betraying my Western European centric mindset as well with that question, because what about relations with Russia? I mean, given the common alphabet for some countries and it's also a big market for technology, are there any either Russian companies that are investing in legal tech in Southeast Europe or are there legal tech solutions that are being exported there because it's an attractive market or is there not much happening in that sense? By very chance, I'm aware of uh, one company opening up a branch shop here in, in Bulgaria. Again, not to mention names, and it's still very early for them. They're in the formation stage. So I still have to see what their stories and what are the reasons. Maybe they're still keeping up only to their market and need some kind of talent from here, or maybe the market itself is uh, interesting for them. I'm, I'm not quite sure because this is the part that I still have to... I hope I'll have a chance to meet them and figure out. But uh, it's interesting that you ask that because obviously uh, there are some examples. Now, whether this will be a trend or not, or maybe it's just an isolated exception, I'm not sure. We have yet to <laughs> wait and see. Now, 
our last of the big questions, looking into the future, if we can do that. What do you think that the future of legal tech activities in the region is going to be over the next few years? And how important are these developments going to be for legal tech internationally? Speaking only in terms of the region for now, um, I think what the homework that we have here is education and uh, probably starting the dialogue or let's see, enhancing the dialogue with the with the bar associations and the regulators in terms of the liberation, um, you know, of certain rules. And I think once that is out of the way, you know, there are so many ideas already out there and technologies ready, you know, to help you transform the business model. And, and I'm talking right now about one, maybe some small subset about the li- delivering legal services. This is the legal service productization because with the existing technology, even you have no code platforms that you as a lawyer or general counsel, these technologies could allow you to create and embed your legal knowledge into products that can be used any part of the day and night. So fully scalable without anyone coming to you. Is this compliant or not yet in the region? I'm not sure. Maybe the Bar Association has something to say about that. And so once this obstacle is removed, if it's still an obstacle in the first place, you'll have a proliferation of many different niches that will use, uh, maybe some would completely develop their platform from the beginning, but they don't even have to because there's so many no-code platforms that they could use uh, out of the box. So technology is there, ideas are there. I think once the you know not so strict rules are there as well, uh, you likely to have this tackled as the next low-hanging fruit in the region. This is my feeling, or I could be that wrong, of course, but this is how, how I currently feel about that. And I think there was also a second part of the question, how this will uh, impact solutions internationally with a proper regulation. Maybe some big vendor of alternative legal services could be interested to open up a regional shop, regional branch, because a region uh, as different as it is from one to another in terms of language and everything, we are still have uh, we are still connected uh, culturally speaking. So you could probably run a one regional office and try to tackle several markets uh, independently. Of course, either one by one or all at once. It's a different story. That could be the international impact. Outside of that, I think local markets have lots of local um, problems to resolve, lots of local opportunities. And I would be very, you know, interested to see how this will, you know, go on in the future. Thanks very much for giving us a really great overview of what is going on in your work and in your contexts. So now to finish, three more quick questions. I'll start the sentence and you can finish it. So... Technology alone does not lead to more or better access to justice because? It's just a tool and it really depends on how you apply it, if you apply it or not. So processes also matter in the culture as well. Legal tech is still risky because? I'm not sure what risk means in this context. Uh, I would say if you're talking about products, all products are risky until they're proven on the market. And finally, the rule of law rules because? I love what you guys do in terms of educating the, the wider community. I think the exposure you bring, it's amazing. And uh, I hope it starts some new conversations. Thanks. We should change that last question to the Rule of Law Rules podcast rules because as um, that's very flattering for us. Cool. So thank you very much for joining us today, Ivan. Thanks a lot.
You've been listening to an episode of the Legal Tech series of the Rule of Law Rules podcast with me, Angela Daly, and our guest, Ivan Rashic. In the show notes, you can find out more about Ivan, links to his activities, and more information about the Conrad Adenauer Foundation and its Rule of Law programme, which this podcast is part of. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel. If you liked this episode, then please give us a good rating and tell your data law geek friends about us too. I hope you've enjoyed our podcast. 